Well, I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and open up to the book of Exodus in chapter 20. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 20 uh, together this morning. We're going to look at one single verse of God's Word, Exodus chapter 20 and verse 7. And uh, while you're turning there, if you're a guest with us today, I'm so glad that you have joined us for worship. I want you to know that everything that we do at Moberly is to help you grow in your relationship with Christ. That is the bottom line for us. We want you to know Christ and to grow in Christ into greater and greater maturity. We want you to sink your roots deep down into Christ so that you will bear fruit for the glory of His name. And uh, God's Word is very clear about how we grow. The Bible tells us that the, the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to shape the people of God to look like the Son of God. Okay, that's how it works. God's Spirit using God's Word and the lives of God's people to conform us to the image of God's Son. And so God's Word is central to that, to that task. God's Word is a shaping, forming Word. It's got how God builds us up into the people that He wants us to be. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 says that all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So the Word of God is how the Spirit of God shapes the people of God to look like the Son of God. Amen? So we pay attention to the Word of God because we believe it's powerful and it's important for our lives. And so we're looking together at Exodus chapter 20 and verse 7. We've been walking through the Ten Commandments slowly, uh, munching on God's Word, meditating on God's Word, thinking about what it means uh, for our lives. Last week we looked at the Second Commandment, which has to do with how we think about God, how we worship God. Today we're going to look at the Third Commandment, which has to do with how we treat and represent the name of God. So listen to God's word, Exodus chapter 20 and verse seven, it says this, do not misuse the name of the Lord your God because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. Names matter. We really care about how we name our babies. We spend a lot of time thinking about baby uh, names and even weeks and, and months looking up that perfect baby name. You don't want to name your baby girl Baby Jezebel, for instance. <laughs> you don't want to name your son Judas, right? Why? Because names matter. Sometimes we give nicknames or we get a nickname and, and you want a good nickname like Ace or Boomer or Scout or Rambo. You don't want to be saddled with something like Pooh Bear or Fuzzkins or Meatball. In Amarillo, when our family lived there, our city got a minor league baseball team and the minor league franchise decided to have a community-wide naming competition. So people in the community could submit a name for the team. A lot of great names were submitted, you know, like Thunder and the Bombers and uh, the storm, and uh, outlaws. You want to know the name that was picked? The Sod Poodles. <laughs> True story. You can go to Amarillo and watch an Amarillo Sod Poodles game. You say, what is a Sod Poodle? Well, that's what everybody in Amarillo wanted to know. What's a Sod Poodle? And uh, this advertising firm out in California that picked the name, they said, oh, well, that's what Texans call prairie dogs. That's a nickname, you know. 
And all the Texans were like, that is not what we call prairie dogs. <laughs> Sod poodles. There was outrage for weeks because people felt, you know, disrespected and, and mocked. Names matter. God's name matters. In the ancient world, someone's name represented their character. Their, their identity was tied up in their name. Think about how in the Bible, the names of places represented something about that place, right? Bethel, the house of God. Eden means pleasure or delight. Ichabod means the glory has departed. Think about uh, how people's names represented something about their character or who they were. Abraham uh, means the father of a multitude. Esau means Harry. Uh, Jacob means the supplanter. Similarly, God's name reflects God's character. God's name evokes his honor. His name reminds us of his power. The early Christian theologian Origen said that God's name represents the personal character of God. So I want us to consider God's name together this morning, our relationship to his name. God takes his own name very seriously. The text says in verse 7 that the Lord will not leave unpunished anyone who misuses his name. And so God takes his name very seriously, and so should we. I believe that there is one main responsibility in Exodus chapter 27, uh, 20 and verse 7, one main thing that we're, we're being called to live out as it relates to God's name. But before we think about that, I, I want you, first of all, just to consider for a moment the beauty of God's name. Consider the beauty of God's name. Think about the importance that the Bible places on the name of God. Before God gives any of the Ten Commandments, for instance, he begins by giving his name. In Exodus chapter 20 and verse 2, he says, I am Yahweh, your Elohim. I am the Lord, your God. He begins by naming himself. Before he tells his people what he wants them to do, he begins with who he is as God. And we see that throughout Exodus. In fact, if you fast forward a little bit in the story to Exodus chapter 33, you may remember that Moses at one point asks God to let him see his glory. In Exodus chapter 33 and verse 19, God replies by saying, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And what's the evidence of God's goodness? Look at the next phrase. I will proclaim the name, the Lord, before you. So, so do you see what God is doing? He's saying, if you really want to understand my goodness, you've got to know my name. And, and part of me showing you my goodness is revealing to you my name. Consider how the rest of the Bible speaks of the name of God. Psalm 8 and verse 1, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name throughout the earth. Psalm 96 verses 2 and 8, uh, sing to the Lord, bless his name, ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Proverbs 18 and verse 10 tells us that the name of the Lord is a strong tower Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9, Jesus teaches us to pray, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your name be honored as holy. Mark chapter 9 and verse 41, Jesus says, Whoever gives you a cup of water to drink 
in my name, he will never lose his reward. Luke chapter 10 and verse 17, when the 72 disciples go out on their mission trip and come back, they return saying, even the demons submit to us in your name. In John chapter 14 and verse 13, Jesus says, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. In Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19, the great commission where we're called to make disciples of all nations, Jesus tells us to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In, in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, the preaching of the early apostles, they say there is no other name under heaven given to people by what, which we must be saved. Paul picks up on that in Romans chapter 10 and verse 13 when he says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 10 says that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. God's name matters. You may say, what is God's name? If God's name is so important, if it's so beautiful, then what is the name of God? Well, we have many names for God in the Bible. In fact, two of them are mentioned right here in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 2. He tells us that his name is the Lord and it is God. The Lord is Yahweh. It means I am. It's God's covenant name, the name of relationship. So we know from, from thinking about Yahweh that he is the God of covenant. But he's also Elohim, the Lord your God. Elohim, the first time that you see the name of God used in the Bible is Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. So Yahweh tells us he's the God of covenant. Elohim tells us he is the God of creation. But there are many other names used of God throughout the Bible. He is called Abba, which means Father. He, he is called Adonai, which means Lord. He is named El Gabor, which means Almighty God. He, he's named El Elyon, God Most High. He's called El Shaddai, God Almighty. El Roy, the God who sees. Yahweh Yaira, the God who provides. Yahweh Nisi, the Lord our banner. Yahweh Rapha, the Lord our healer. Yahweh Rohi, the Lord our shepherd. Emmanuel, which means God with us. Yahweh Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. Yahweh Sabaoth, which means the Lord of hosts or the Lord of armies. He, he is called Yeshua. Also in the New Testament, the, the Greek translation Jesus, which means the Lord saves. He is called Yahweh Sidkenu, which means the Lord is our righteousness. He is called Yahweh Shema. The Lord is there. He's called the Messiah, which means the anointed one. And Lagos, which means the word. He is called Ma'on which means our dwelling place. He is called comforter and wonderful and counselor and mighty God and everlasting father and prince of peace. Isn't his name beautiful? His name is beautiful and it matters. But I want you to think about not just the beauty of God's name. I want you to consider the blessing of God's name. You know, it is a real blessing to know the name of God. Peter Lightheart has written a wonderful little commentary on the Ten Commandments, and he points out a couple of things that are unique about the name of God and the fact that God, we see God's name in Exodus chapter 20. First, Peter, Peter Lightheart says that Yahweh is the only God in the ancient world who names himself. Every other deity in the ancient world is named by humans, whether that's Baal or Anubis or Artemis or Zeus. All of them are given a name by a creature, but only Israel's God names himself. 
In other words, God doesn't leave us guessing about His identity. God doesn't leave us in the dark about who He is or what He's like. He explains His name. He gives us His name. But Lightheart says that matters for a further reason, and that is this, that, that by revealing His name to Israel, God was giving Israel the power to call upon Him. You see, when you know someone's name, you can call for their attention. If I know your name, I can call out to you, and you will respond. Now, if I don't know you, your name, then I can just say, hey, you. And we're passing by in the lobby, I might say, hey, you, hey, you. And there's a lot of yous out there, and so you're probably going to ignore me. But if I say, Chris, then Chris is going to, he's going to stop, stop, stop taking his nap. He's going to look up at me, and he's going to pay attention to me. <laughs> Chris. He, he's, he's pointing at me. You see, if I know his name, I can call on him, and what, what's he going to do? He's going to respond to me, right? If I say, Brandon, Brandon's going to nod at me and look and just try to hide his face so I don't talk to him anymore, right? If I know your name, I can call on you. And you see, this is a gift of God's grace. For God to share his name with his people, he's inviting his people to call upon him, to invoke his name when we need help. God is saying, when you need help, you can call on me, and I'm letting you know the name to call. Jesus teaches us to pray in Matthew 6, 9, our Father who is in heaven. Do you realize the blessing of knowing the name of God? It means when you are in the dark, when you are alone, when you are in the pit, and you need someone to call, you know the name of God. You can call upon him, and when you call upon him, you get his attention. Amen? If I give you my cell number, then I am giving you the right to call me or to text me. I I'm inviting you into a relationship of some sort. God gives his people his name so that they can have the blessing of relationship with him. They can speak to him. They can call upon his name. They can grab God's attention. So what, what do we know about God just by reflecting on his name? Well, number one, we know that God is not a God who is unknown or unknowable. God is not, listen, God is mysterious, but he's not shrouded in mystery to such a degree that you can't know him. God reveals his name. He reveals himself. He reveals his character. He lets us know through the revelation of his word exactly what kind of God we are called to serve and to worship. As Francis Schaeffer put it, he is there and he is not silent. He is not unknown or unknowable. But the second thing that we can know about God is that God is not unreachable. In other words, it's not just that God is so far above us and so distant that you can't call upon him. God invites us to know his name and to call on it. He is not unreachable. What a blessing. You know, my children know and can use a name for me that no one else in this room can use. You guys can call me all kinds of names. You can call me Andrew. You can call me pastor. You can call me some mean name. But there's a name that my kids know, and they can call me. It's Daddy. And when they call that name Daddy, they get special access and special privileges. It doesn't matter what else is going on. If, one, if my baby girl, Brooklyn, runs up to me and calls my name, guess what? Zoom. She's got my attention. In fact, she can come any time in the day, and she can run through the, the, the office hallway and bust through my office door and call out to Daddy. And instantaneously, I'm going to be welcoming her and paying attention to her and celebrating her and delighting in her. Now, if one of you guys did that, I'd be calling the police, okay? <laughs> but if my daughter calls it, 
If she calls my name daddy, she, by virtue of being my child, has special access and special privileges. Do you realize by virtue of being a child of God, the special access and special privileges you have with the Father because you have the blessing of knowing his name. But that blessing also comes with a responsibility. And that's the, that's the final thing I want you to think about this morning as we look again at Exodus chapter 20 and verse 7. There's a beauty of God's name and there's a, a blessing of knowing God's name. But I also want you to consider the responsibility that we have of bearing God's name. I want you to think about this. We have a responsibility of bearing God's name. Now, let's look again at Exodus chapter 20 and verse 7. As you, uh, as you look at the various English translations of, of verse 7, there are two primary ways that this verse is translated. Okay, one of the ways is like the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, which is the, the translation I preach and teach from. Uh, it, it translates it, you must not misuse the, the name of God. You see that? You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. And there are a lot of translations, and probably if we surveyed this room, you, you probably multiple of you have a translation that reads like this, don't misuse the name of God. The other way that this is commonly translated, and it's probably the more familiar, the more traditional way of translating this, it's probably what came to your mind when you thought about commandment number three, it's the way the good old King James Version translates it, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Okay, so you've heard that before, right? You should not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. I think that's actually a better translation. It is a more literal translation of Exodus 20 and verse 7. We are called not to take the name of the Lord in vain. Now, the way that that verse has commonly been applied has to do with our speech and, and how our speech might involve the name of God. And so, for instance, I was taught growing up uh, not to cuss and especially not to use God's name uh, in a dishonoring way in my speech, right? How many of you were raised that, that very same way, right? So, you, so I was taught to mind my P's and Q's as it related to my OMG's. <laughs> and, you know, if you wanted to do like a Christian cussing, you might say, oh my gosh, you know, something like that. It might raise an eyebrow from grandma. Some of you maybe read chapter 20, verse 7, you say, oh, I don't use an OMG. Whoo, I'm good. I've kept the commandment. Well, that's not all that chapter 20, verse 7 is talking about. It, it is certainly true that our, our speech should be wholesome and that we should be reverent with, with God's name. All God's people said, amen, right? That is, that is true. Uh, others have, have taken this to say, you know, we want to be very careful about making oaths or swearing promises that invoke God's name. That's all very true. But to reduce this command just to that actually misses the point of verse 7. Because verse 7 is not just about your lips, it's about your lives. It's not just about honoring God in your speech. It's, it's about honoring God in every way. The, the, I want you to look again at this ver verse. It says, don't take the name of the Lord in vain. Now, we, we typically read that to say, don't use the name, don't speak the name in vain. But the Hebrew word for take, take the name, means literally to take up, to carry, or to bear the name. 
So, so here's the deal. What he's saying is you are not to take up, carry, or bear the name of God in vain. The reality is when you come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, there's a very real sense in which you take up the name of the Lord and you carry the name of the Lord and you bear the name of the Lord to the world. And so what's being communicated here is this. We are called as the people of God not to bear the name of God or carry the name of, of God in a manner that is vain, empty, or worthless. When you belong to God, when, when you become a Christian, you are actually called to bear or to carry the name of God with you into the world. To, to be a Christian is to bear a commission. And here's the commission. When you got baptized, right, you were baptized in the name, or some translations say baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when you are baptized in the name of Jesus, you are now called to bear his name into the world. That means that we are called to wear God's name well. This really means that we are called to honor God, not just with our lips, but with our lives, because we carry his name with us everywhere we go. P Peter Lightheart wants more. He, he says, the key demand of the third command is to honor God's name. He, he says this, speaking or silent, active or passive, we bear the name all the time in everything we do. And so God's people are to represent God's reputation to the world. That's what, it, what the calling is. Listen, when you become a Christian, when you, when you know Jesus as Lord and Savior in your life, you are given a new family name. And that new family name is the name Christian. You become a Christian. Now, that's a wonderful name. That's a Bible name, the name Christian. You may wonder, where did that name come from? Well, we find it in Acts chapter 11 and verse 26. The very first time that anyone was called a Christian was at the church of Antioch. And it was actually used derisively. It was used as a derogatory term, but it was an accurate uh, description of their lives. Uh, you know, the word Christian, anybody know what it means? Little Christ. That's exactly right. So, so here's the deal. The believers in Antioch were living their life in such a way that they were accused of being little Christs. I wonder if we live in such a way that if we were to be accused of anything, it would be that we were so much like Jesus that our neighbors were saying, look at them, they're running around like a little Christ. I don't know whether to say amen or ouch to that. That's what the name Christian means. It means you wear the name of Christ. And when you wear his name, you represent his reputation. The church at Antioch wore his name well. They, they, they lived in such a way, they honored God, not just with their lips, but with their lives in such a way that people said, oh, they're just like Jesus. They're like little Christ's running around. You, you become, when you become a, a Christian, you become someone who now represents the name and the reputation of God in this world. That's what it means to take up the name 
and to carry it into the world. And we are called to take that name up and to carry that name and to bear that name in a way that is faithful. To faithfully represent the reputation of God in this world. You know, I, I, um, I am not a Yankees fan. In fact, as an Astros fan, I hate the Yankees. And you do too, right? But, but, one, but one, with that said, one of the things that I can appreciate as a, a baseball fan about the Yankees is, is the tradition and the heritage, you know, is associated with the team. And uh, some of those are kind of funky. You know, you have to, you can't have certain hairdos. You got to cut your hair a certain way. You can, can only wear your facial hair a certain kind of way. The, just interesting traditions. But one of the traditions that I really appreciate is that when you become a Yankee, unlike every other team, as a Yankee, you don't wear your last name on the back of your jersey. The, the name that you represent most is now not the name on the back of your jersey, but the front of your jersey, and that's the name of the New York Yankees. And when you become a Christian, there's a very real sense in which the name that matters most is, is no longer Andrew Abair. It's the name that I wear on the front of the jersey. I'm putting on the team. That's what baptism is, right? You're putting on the team jersey. You are identifying with Christ and with Christ's people. And now the name that matters is the name on the front of the jersey. I am bearing the name of Christ. I am wearing his name with me everywhere I go into this world. That's the responsibility that we have when we become part of the people of God. We get a new family name and we're called to wear it well. God here says, don't take my name up. Don't carry it or bear it, bear it into the world in a way that is vain. Notice that in verse 7. Don't do it in a way that is vain. Vain simply means empty or meaningless or purposeless. Kevin DeYoung says this means we're not to bear God's name in a manner that is wicked, worthless, or for wrong purposes. He says to bear the name in vain means we're not to take up the name of God in service of what is false, frivolous, or phony. So that's really what is meant here in Exodus 27. Uh, CSB translates, don't misuse the name. That's really what's meant by that. We're, we're not to spend our lives carrying the name of God on our backs, but spending and investing our lives on that which is wicked or worthless or wrong, when we give ourselves to that which is false or frivolous or phony, we are not wearing his name well. We're called to represent God's reputation in this world in a way that accurately reflects who he is by the way that we live. I want you to think about this. If the people that you know, or rather the people that know you, if they were asked to build a theology of who God is and what he is like, and the only textbook that they had was your life, what would they say God is like? In other words, if your friends and neighbors and coworkers, if they said, the only thing I know about what God is like is based on what his people live like, their lives, what kind of God would they say that God is? In other words, if someone followed you around for a week and they watched the way that you live, would they be able to get an accurate representation of God's reputation? Would they be able to get an accurate picture of the character of God? Folks, do you realize it, it's, it's, it's become cliche to say this? But it's true. 
in many cases, you might be the only Bible that people read. They're going to learn something about the God of the universe by watching you because you bear his image and you wear his name. So do you wear it well? Do you bear or carry God's name in a way that honors God, not just with your lips, but with your life? How did Israel do? Here God is calling them to live this. God is saying, you're my special people. I've brought you out of Egypt. I've freed you, liberated you from oppression. Now I've put my name on your back, and I'm telling you, I want you to bear my name well into the world. How did they do? You know, if you've read your Bibles, not very well. No, God calls a special people. He gives them His name. He gives them all of the benefits and privileges of being His covenant people. He calls them to be a light to the nations. It doesn't take very long until they're not a light to the nations. They're, the light is out. They are just like the nations. And they ultimately fail to obey commandment number three. The truth is, let's, let's not be too harsh or judgmental of the Israelites. The truth is, we all fail to live out commandment number three at times, don't we? Or am I the only one? I guess I am the only one. Okay, two, three, four. Okay, thank you. You're being honest. That's good. We'll get to not bearing false witness here in a few weeks. <laughs> right? We all fail to, right? So commandment number three shows us God's design. This is the way he created us to live. We were made by God, for God, to honor God. Okay, that is our purpose. We were made to do this. This is part of God's design for our life, to, to bear his name well into the world. But the reality is, if you look at the, the, the law of God and you, you consider it like a mirror, you look and you see your own reflection is fractured and broken because, because we've all failed in this area. We, we have all failed to fully honor God with our lips and our lives. And so even though this command stands to show us God's design the moment we consider God's design, we realize we have failed to live his way. We have failed to perfectly obey God in this. And so this command becomes not just a, a picture of God's design, it also becomes a sign that points us to our need for Christ. It becomes a sign that points us to our need for someone to rescue us from our own brokenness because we failed to live this out. None of us have perfectly obeyed commandment number three. We've all rebelled against God's law. We're all broken, which means we need rescue from our sin. And so here's the good news. God loves you so much that even though he created you to bear his name and wear his image in this world faithfully, and we have not done it, he loves you so much that he sent his own son, who the Bible says has been given the name that is above every other name, Jesus, who, although he perfectly obeyed God, Jesus always bore the name faithfully. He went to a cross. He died on that cross to pay the penalty for our brokenness, our rebellion, our lawlessness. And then he was buried, and three days later he came back to life so that we can be made new. And, and Philippians chapter 2 and verse 9 says that God has highly exalted him 
and it has given him a name that is above every other name. But the, the, the previous verses tell us why Jesus is exalted and why he has the name that is above every, na- uh, every other name. And this is the reason that the text gives us. It says that he has the name above every other name because although he existed in the form of God himself, emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, and humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then the text says, for this reason, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Listen, friends, this is the good news that makes us Christians. That Jesus, though perfect, Jesus, though he had the name above every other name, was was willing to have his name muddied and trampled, was willing to go to a cross so that our lawlessness can be forgiven and we can be made new. And if we would be willing to bow the knee to Jesus as Lord, then we can be made brand new and given a new family name. That's the good news. So when we think about Exodus 27, we need to be thinking ultimately about the cross and the resurrection. And here's the deal. When when God makes you new through Christ, then this command, we look at it through gospel eyes, through, through the lens of grace. We now realize that as Christians, Exodus chapter 20 and verse 7 is intended to refine us, to look more and more like Christ. If we have bowed the the knee at the name of Jesus, now we're called faithfully to bear the name of Jesus into the world. Now we take up his name as those who have been redeemed by him, the one who has the name above every other name. And we are called to bear it faithfully into the world. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17 says this, whatever you do in word, or indeed. Notice, in word, that's your lips. Indeed, that's your life. Whatever you do with your lips or your life, in word or indeed, let's say this together, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. So if you're here today and you've never bowed the knee to the one who has the name above every other name, then let this commandment be a sign that points you to him. Bow the knee at the name of Jesus. Give your life to him. If you're here today and you have bowed the knee, you're called to bear the name. You're called to bear it faithfully. You're called to wear the name well. We tell our kids when they leave our house, don't forget you represent Jesus and this family. Anybody else tell their kids that when they go out the door? Two of you. (laughs) Don't forget. As you go to wherever you're going, don't forget who you represent. You represent Jesus and this family. And I don't just tell them that because I'm the pastor. I would tell them that no matter who I was. Don't forget you represent this family and you represent Jesus as you leave the house. And so, church family, as you leave this house, let me remind you of whose name you represent. Wear it well. Amen? Would you stand together with me? I'm going to pray for us. If you're here today and you're not yet a Christian, you've not yet bowed the knee at the name of Jesus, let me invite you to do that today. Here in a moment, at the end of our service, 
I'll be out in the lobby. Several other pastors and ministers will be there as well. If you're not a Christian and you'd like to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, you say, I need to acknowledge He is Lord, then we'll sit down with you for a few moments and share with you how to do that. So I invite you to do that. If you're a Christian today, you know the commission you've got. Wear the name well. Lord, we we can't do this on our own. So Holy Spirit, empower our obedience. Help us to live for you. Help us to wear the name well, to bear it faithfully in our homes, in our neighborhoods, with our coworkers, with our family and our friends, to the ends of the earth, help us to bear it well. And we pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit.